0: This is an island that, that belongs to, to us. It, it belongs to us as a clan, and we know
1: we are losing it. Ursula Rakova is losing the island that her ancestors have lived on for generations.
0: And having to move away basically breaks, breaks us. It feels that we are, we are divided people.
1: They don't want to move, but they are desperate because the sea is eating away at their land and killing their crops. They are the people of the Carteret Islands in Papua New Guinea. Their tragedy is shared by many communities in the Pacific and beyond.
2: At the current rate of global warming, 80% of these islands could be uninhabitable by 2050.
1: The world is catching up with this place very fast and, in effect,
0: drowning it.
3: Many of Abayang's residents have abandoned their homes and scattered across the
2: 33 islands of Kiribati.
0: Climate change is very real. Just ask
3: the residents of the Maldives. It's being swallowed by water. Climate change is not an abstract notion for these islands. These houses are really falling into the
2: ocean, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These houses are really falling to the ocean.
0: Village elders always believed that they would die on prized land where their chiefs are buried. Now they worry if the sea will inundate their homes and ancestral burial sites.
1: So what actually happens when the populations, sometimes entire countries, start losing their land and their identities with it? The only thing that I want
0: is to save Kiribati. It's not just about being alive and have a place to stay. No, it's about a country and a people called a Kiribati people. We will continue to fight until there is no breath in us.
1: I'm Sharon Brick kelly and today on The Detail, the story of the island of Vanualevu in Fiji, where not one, but three villages face upheaval from climate change. But first, I'm on a pretty ropey Zoom call to Ursula Rakova in PNG, She runs an organisation called Tulele Pesa, and she's been battling for 13 years to relocate her people from the Carteret Islands to the mainland of Bougainville, 90 kilometres away. 30 families have moved, but 350 more are still waiting.
0: The situation is that, you know, people are not able to grow food anymore, and the government supports them with food supplies every, uh, every quarter.
1: When you say that they can't, that people can't grow any food, is that because of the, the seawater is swamping the land?
0: Seawater is swamping the land um, and seawater is basically flowing out of crab holes when uh, it's king tide.
1: And normally, what, what would people be growing there?
0: Bananas, uh, cassava, a bit of cassava and um, sweet potato are planted on on the sand. But now, yeah, a lot of it is dying. A lot of the bananas, banana trees uh, are basically turning yellow leaves because of the salt water uh, coming out of the land. How quickly
1: are the islands and we're talking about six islands as part of the um, Carterets group how quickly are they disappearing uh, shoreline
0: erosion is is bad the salt water is, is is swamping the island and and a lot of fruit trees like um, breadfruit nut trees are falling all the time uh, year in year out mm. I, I mean, it, it's a situation, it's a desperate
1: situation. Do people actually want to move off the island, or are, are some of them resistant?
0: Tulalipisa wants to move, like, 70% of the people, but we we basically can allow them to move and, and squat. We, we want them to move so that they can continue to sustain themselves by growing their own food crops also growing some cash crops.
1: How dangerous is it for them at the moment, Ursula, staying there?
0: Uh, It's actually a lot more dangerous than a few years back. It's really serious, and and we need to to move people out of the island. It's better to get them um, to sustain themselves and be independent than to keep feeding them, because we we could continue to feed them but for how long mm. why why can't yeah why can't the money used for feeding them be used to uh, purchase land
1: The families who have moved are living on land gifted by the Catholic Church The children go to a local school and the adults work together on their gardens producing food for themselves and cash crops it's
0: completely different from the situation on the island. On the island, I w- wake up, I just lope around. When I'm hungry, I, I go down to the sea and that's it basically my, my meal is, is done. And I, and I don't need to do a lot of work. Whereas in tin I, I make sure that I have to uh, clean my cocoa blocks, my coconut blocks, my food gardens. Um, and make sure I'm I'm providing food for myself and my uh, organisational staff as well.
1: And what about things like the traditions of the Carterets? Because it's pretty special there, isn't it? I mean, one of the things is the land is passed through the generations through the women, and the women are the chiefs. Have I got that right?
0: Yes, correct. Um, In we the the customs are... Similar, we we try to integrate into our clan systems, and when they have a ceremonial activities, celebrations, I take part uh, because now I I feel part of the, the the clan and and I feel part of the family as well. I mean, we are beginning to align our cultural activities also into the host community.
1: But your story. That you own that island, and that you inherited the land from your mother, and your mother inherited the land from her her mother, but you won't be able to pass it on to your daughter because it's it won't be there.
0: Um, it, it won't be there, but I will still own the reef. Oh, you still own it? I will still own the reef, regardless of what happens. So, you know, whether I move away from Rueni. Even if the last coconut tree is there, I, I will still own the reef. I will still go to the reef and, and fish and come
3: Relocation is always the last resort option.
1: This is Martin De Jong of the Catholic charity Caritas, one of many groups which helps Pacific populations facing the impact of rising sea levels.
3: As much as possible, you want to cut carbon emissions and adapt where necessary where people are living and where they, where they want to be. And even much of the relocation we have heard about, either organised or, or informally, just as people need to move, it often is at a very local level. It may just be a few hundred metres inland or, or further away, but there's, there's all sorts of issues with that, even with those smaller-scale relocations. The, the the person who actually comes to mind most strongly for me living where you are and protecting where you are is Boromoa from Kiribati, which again is one of the other places identified as on the front line of climate change and sea level rise. But he says quite strongly, this is this is our land, this is my land, this is where my ancestors have been and I need to do whatever I can to protect it. I mean when I spoke with him it was about planting mangroves and that's still ongoing and in the face of Um, large-scale sea-level rise that might seem futile or in vain, but it's where he has lived, where his people have lived, and where he wants to be, and they have a right to be there as as much as possible with whatever means Um, they themselves and people who accompany them, whether it's people from within country or people like ourselves from outside, accompanying and supporting them where, where possible,
1: at the extent of this, I don't think people are aware of it.
3: We aren't aware of the numbers either. It is one of the frustrating things from the seven or eight years we've been working on State the Environment Report is we hear a lot of stories of people having to move at various levels, but there seems to be very little, if any, um, comprehensive assessment of how many people are, be- are moving and how many are at, at risk. I know that the World Bank last year on, on a global level in their groundswell report estimated by 2050 climate change could force over 200 million people to move within their countries. That The figures within the Pacific are probably less known that, that than in other places because it is very often neglected in terms of um, reports and statistics. Looking at these issues, the investment just doesn't go into understanding comprehensively, the situation in in the Pacific.
1: And, and from your work and the people that you talk to, because you're very much in touch with people on the ground, in the places where these moves are taking place, what's the most difficult thing for people?
3: The most difficult thing is facing up to the move and having to deal with loss of identity, loss of land, loss of livelihoods when you have had no choice in the matter has not been your choice.
1: So when you say that relocation is a last resort why is that?
3: I'm only speaking from what I've heard from a number of people across a number of countries. It's the depth of relationship with the land and ocean that I pick up on that their connection with ancestors their connection their, their continuity with the place and the culture and lifestyle they've built up over over centuries. And when they are forced to move, they need to be enabled to protect um, their their memories, their relationship, their culture as much as possible.
1: Can I go through some of those, you know, the practicalities of it? Because first of all, it must be about finding the land for them to relocate to. I mean, how do you go about that even?
3: Um, In the Carter Islands, they were were fortunate to have an offer of land from the Catholic Church there. It was first expressed in the 1960s. I know in in other places there's differences of land, tenure and land ownership, and it's different in every country. In Tonga, on one of the islands, in the um, Hapai group, there is you know, some consideration of having to move people inland. And I know it's very, very complex land negotiations between the government and local people.
1: Because there must be issues such as, you know, being accepted in the new place by the, the host community. And then the, it must be also about the change of lifestyle.
3: And, and that's what we've even heard from people who even have moved maybe a few kilometres inland from a coastal situation to inland where they are growing more of their own food it's a big adjustment to make.
1: What about things like the connection with the ancestral
3: land? It's not something I can speak directly on but I I know that Ursula has expressed the desire if if and when the Carter Islands go under she would still like the community maintain some connection with the place where it was to be recognised as where they used to live to be able to go there to to visit the the, the site or to, to, to fish but to maintain some connection with the, the place, so even in the situation that they're facing of, I don't even like to say it myself actually, um, possible complete loss, they still want to maintain a connection with where where they were.
1: Let's look at Fiji now, because on one island alone, Vanua Levu, three villages are being torn apart by rising sea levels, but in different ways. Serena Rakambi is the Fiji director of Caritas, and he's just been there.
2: Buendongloa is the village that was relocated seven years ago, and since 1952, the old people in the village had started to see the changes in terms of the the, the rising sea level in two thousand and fourteen they were and then they were able to relocate. It took them several years. It wasn't easy for them to relocate because it's the place of their birth. their ancestors' burial ground is there for them, their umbilical cord is buried on the ground where they were born which is very much significant in the culture. You no know, our umbilical cord is connected to where we were born.
1: They've now had to go inland.
2: They have to go inland to about two kilometres.
1: So they would have had very much a, a lifestyle of fishing. Yes. They've gone from that to more of a farming lifestyle?
2: They, yeah, they've moved from a uh, fishing lifestyle to more of a farming lifestyle. They, they still go to the sea, but the women, the children and the men, they have to walk far to get to the sea.
1: So what difference has that made to their lives?
2: Yeah, it's really made a, a great, uh, no, a difference to their life. It's, uh, although some of the, they are adapting to the new lifestyle, but there were a few things that the government helped them with. There, there, there was a livestock farming for cattle that was provided for the village, and a few fish ponds, you know, but fish pond is quite totally a different thing from going to the sea. It's quite uh, a struggle for them, but the good thing about them they you know they they're still within the land that belongs to the clan
1: that's not the case at Vuni Savisavi, where half the village is now under sea. The people have to get permission from their paramount chief to move, and it will be to land not owned by the clan. Serino says it's not the first time the people have asked to move.
2: And that one time they requested the chief, and uh, the response was, "Is anyone drowned on that? You no, know, on that piece of land. That's that's the kind of response that they have received already.
1: So they've been told no, they can't move.
2: Yeah, indirectly telling them that they can move.
1: Mm. I mean, how long has this been going for? You know, how long have they been affected by the sea level rise, the flooding?
2: Uh, late 1990s, early two thousand.
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh,
2: yes, yeah.
1: So for decades they've been affected. decades now. Yes. And it's slowly getting worse.
2: Mm, yes, yeah, it's quite desperate.
1: So what, what will you try and do now?
2: These traditional issues here that needs to be discussed with the, the Paramount Chief. So we'll have to talk to the Chief and we have to go through our Church leaders as a way to, to consider the plight these people are going through in, in regards to sea level rise. The Paramount Chief is a member of the Catholic Church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So even though their situation is really desperate... This yeah. doesn't sound to me like, you know, there's going to be any change tomorrow or next
2: week. No, no. We are treading on you know, some cultural but traditional issues here as well, which people hold dear to, that they, they, they see that it needs to be followed that way.
1: So they're waiting for their paramount chief to give them permission to to move?
2: Permission to move, yes.
1: If they get that permission, they'd go to higher ground. But the trouble is that the this is not land that is owned by their clan.
2: It doesn't belong to them. It's, it, it belongs to another clan. And they will have to seek approval again from that. I, and I don't think they have the money to buy their land.
1: But it is the story of Naveavea Solomon community that is really complicated – They are descendants of slaves who were brought to the island in the early 1900s to farm the land.
2: So the Anglican Church bought a piece of land in this particular area which was 3,000 acres of land and the Anglican Church offered the land, not in a written agreement but just offer of land for them to come and settle on and then due to the climate change and the issue of the rising sea level which the people of kiribati are experiencing the kiribati government sought uh lands here in fiji and then the anglican Church had to sell that piece of land to the kiribati government so these people a population of 100 100, 100 plus people were given 300 acres of land to live on but for them since nothing is done on writing, there is no no legal documents, no title or anything of that sort to confirm their uh, their security of land uh, they're in great confusion as where they will gonna move if if so happens, uh, the government of Kiribati wishes to sell that land or when they come and you know, to come and settle on that land. They have to move on, and, and they've been there for, for over 100 years now. Wow. But now they, their life is uncertain as to where they're, they're going if something happens. They don't know, you know, leadership changes, the policy changes.
1: So their situation is not so much that they are facing sea level rise, which is threatening their village. It's about who owns the land that they're living on. So what sort of help can you give those people?
2: Right now we are trying to negotiate with the Anglican Church. It's possible that they, they sign an agreement with the people that the 300 acres that they have been given will, will remain as theirs no matter what happens, for them to have security over the land that they have been given.
1: So what's your impression from this trip that you've just done to these three different villages, Serena? What, what's your thinking about this whole issue of relocation and people under threat from climate change?
2: I think before any decision is made for, for people to relocate or bringing other people from outside to come in, Proper consultation needs to be, be carried out. The consent of the people, especially people who have been, been living on those lands for years, and then they have to be relocated due to some government arrangements. Back in
1: Papua New Guinea, Ursula Rakova is adamant she will stay connected to her ancestral land even as it disappears.
0: Climate change doesn't really have any barriers. Basically, the very fabrics of how you grow up from that, and you losing your identity, and having to move away, and and I think it it has really strengthened my my connection to Hone because although it it's disappearing underwater, I, I know that it still holds those significances for me. My my cultural identity is impounded on on, on who and whether I move away, whether the sea continues to destroy, it, I'm still connected to the reef.
3: I felt from the first time I became aware of Ursula Rikova's story in the Carter Islands, they're facing up to a new land, a new lifestyle. In some way, all of us will need to face up to a new land, new lifestyle. Te Pesa, I understand, means sailing in the wind on our on our own, and they're they are largely being left on their own, with some minimal support from others where where we where we can. But it's it's a new land, new situation, and as a as a world, we are we we are going to be forced into a new way of living on this planet, whether we want to or not. And I think we need to take the the warning from what is happening on the Khashoggi Islands to support them, but also to recognise what does this mean or signal for us? How should we be living now to ensure as much as possible we protect people on the small islands, to provide for them if they need to move, and to provide for our own vulnerable and at-risk people in Aotearoa, New Zealand.
1: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom 4RNZ. You can download us free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Mark Jennings, and Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Ursula Rakova, Martin DeYong, and Serena Rakambi. Matewa.